We can sing with joy because Jesus loves me. And we love Jesus too. We gather today to study your word. To find out how we can love Jesus more and more. Even in these last days, we want to be people who love Jesus. As we open up the Word of God, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us, that we might be faithful to the end. So teach us in our hearts how to love Jesus with all our heart. We pray in His precious name. Amen. Amen. We'd like to read the Word of God. The first six verses of Revelation 3 from the Church of Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die, for I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. 你要写信给沙迪的使者 so remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. So but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For almost a year, we have been considering the theme verse of Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. It is speaking of overcomers. Because it says, And they overcame the devil 
by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life, even unto death. This was spoken by a heavenly chorus. In the midst of a tremendous conflict in heaven, we see some great signs there in Revelation chapter 12. There is a great woman who is about to give birth to a man child. There is the devil standing there waiting to eat this man child. And there is war in heaven between Satan and Michael. And in that heavenly warfare, the angels won and Satan was thrown down to earth. And then you hear a loud voice from heaven. And it explains how Michael and his angels could defeat and throw down Satan to the earth. And here is the explanation. Satan was defeated because they were overcomers. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony, and they love not their life unto death. Christians, just like you and I, human beings, sinners saved by grace, overcame the enemy, and he was thrown down. And so we want to know how to be these overcomers. When we think about this man child, this man child is the overcomer. And in this great vision in heaven, he's about to be raptured up to the throne of God. Now, is that you? Are you part of that man child? Are you overcoming? It seems like a very difficult task. How can you and I possibly overcome the devil? He's so powerful. Do we know the blood of the Lamb? And what is our testimony? Are we willing to lay down our soul life? Then we can join this match. Now this heavenly vision in Revelation chapter 12 is, seems very awesome. But now we see how we can overcome by looking in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And how do we see we will overcome? Because Jesus loves us very much. The overcomers are singing, I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Before the end came, comes, before the Satan is thrown down to the earth, there are brothers and sisters on earth in the church. 
And because Jesus loves us so much, Jesus is an Iwoman. He comes and speaks to his church. He wants us to understand how much he loves us. He comes to us as the high priest. He is looking at the lampstand in each church. He is revealing the things that we are doing that are of Christ. And the things we are doing that needs to be repented. The high priest always has to make sure that the house of God is pure. Now it may seem uncomfortable to us. We thank God. Jesus comes and reveals where we are blessed. And where we must repent. As he comes to his churches, he's looking for something. Bone of my bone. He's looking for a bride. He has placed his life into us in the new birth. And now he's looking to see if we look like Jesus. He wants a wife that looks like him. Bone of my bone. And when he looks, he sees some things in the church that he commands. He said, Now you're doing this, and it looks like Jesus. It's Christ-like. The ministry, the character is Christ-like. So he says, I know your faithfulness. I know your works. When they're done Christ-like, Jesus loves this. You're looking more like Jesus. The bride is almost ready. wants his bride. We know from Ephesians 5, he's heavily invested in perfecting his bride. For Jesus has eyes that can see what's wrong. Strangely, many times we can't see what's wrong. I don't know what you think. I think when Jesus spoke and said to the churches, that you have left your first love and other things. I think those churches were surprised. I think they thought they were pretty good. But Jesus is a priest who's looking for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit among us in the church. It's always looking, saying, Where's my testimony? Where's the light of Jesus in your midst? And if he sees the smoke on the lampstand, he has to trim the wick so that the pure oil will burn a pure light. How, how do I know that there will be those who overcome? Because Jesus loves you so much. He encourages you. And he rebukes us. He trims our wick. 
so that we can be his testimony. But we also notice as we study Jesus as he looks at the seven churches. That there are three great enemies of the church being prepared as a bride. Now from Revelation chapter 12, we know the devil tries to prevent us and even attacks us. But there are two other enemies that hurt us just as much. The flesh and the world. We are hindered from becoming mature Christians because of the world in our life. And because of the flesh of our life. We remember how Paul tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. And rulers in this world. Now we know the world is in the hands of the evil one. Sometimes Satan attacks us directly. But sometimes the world attacks us. But our biggest enemy is our flesh. Sometimes Satan doesn't have to struggle or attack us very much. He just lets our flesh do its evil work. And so when we look at the church of Ephesus, we see what's wrong with them, and it's a principle for all of the seven churches. Jesus commended the church of Ephesus for many things. They were faithful. They did many good deeds. But you know, you know where Jesus looks. It's a place we sometimes try to hide. When Jesus comes to Ephesus, he looks at the heart. He says, Ah, you have left your first love. Now we know in the scriptures that God always looks at our heart. You know, there's an interesting scripture. You know, in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter is talking to women. And he says, don't go crazy with makeup and with jewelry. And then what does he say? He says, God is looking at something. You remember what he says? The actual phrase is, God looks at the hidden man of the heart. So every sister has the hidden man of the heart. 
God looks to see if your heart is beautiful. He doesn't look at the outward show, he looks at the heart. Is it beautiful? God always looks at the heart. Sometimes you find a new Christian. They may have many bad habits. They still have much to learn. He looks at the heart. Do they love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength? Do they love their neighbor as themselves? From the heart? If God sees this, He is pleased. He always examines the heart. The heart is your spiritual center. That's the core of who you are. And without going into a lot of anatomy, the heart is the conjunction of your soul and your spirit. How do you know if somebody is heart healthy? Because their soul and their spirit are speaking to each other. The spirit is speaking into the conscience of the heart. The spirit is revealing things to the mind and the soul. Your worship and love of God in your spirit is is being affected in your love of God in your soul. Are you healthy? And your spirit and your soul is like this. But if you've left your first love, your soul still has faith, you know, that you believe in your heart. Your soul still has the conscience. You're trying to do what's right. This is a, a church of Ephesus trying to do what's right. Something's wrong. The heart is not wholehearted for God. Jesus says, I love you. But if you don't return and remember what it was like to have first love and come back to it, then you are going off track. And the bride is hindered from her preparation. So we learned this very important lesson. The Lord looks in the heart. Now who is attacking the heart of Ephesus? The devil? Sure. The world? Yeah, sure. But Ephesus is a good church. Not too much inroads of the world. And Satan it doesn't say that he's attacking this church so much. Ah, but the flesh is the problem. We have a picture of the flesh when Jesus gives the parables of the kingdom of heaven. 
那神,耶稣讲到这个天国的比喻的时候,我们就能够看到这个,In Matthew chapter 13,在马太福音第十三章,Our Lord says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in the three pecks of flour until it was all leaven.天国的福音就像这个教,那他把它放在一起的时候,他就会放在一起,他就会发大。Leaven is the flesh. Many of us, we don't always see it. It's hidden. But it's doing its work. The Ephesian church was strong. But there was leaven. Leaven of the flesh. Beginning to corrupt the church. Now, I just want to spend a minute on this so that you can understand how the flesh works. How would you define flesh? Maybe a good definition is myself, the self-life. Now this flesh is in all of us, right? And we are constantly crucifying the flesh with its lust. None of us are And so we know from the feast of the unleavened bread. That we always must have a season where we purge out the flesh in our life. Now let me just give you four examples of the flesh as it works its way into our life. Now we The first tendency of the flesh is going to be four. The first tendency of the flesh is to turn us inside out. Now God looks at the secret man of the heart, the hidden man of the heart. God looks for spiritual reality in our life. But the flesh turns us from looking at that inward reality to looking at us outwardly. Now the world teaches our flesh to judge things by outward standards. You remember in Second Corinthians that Paul was having trouble with some false apostles. The problem was the false apostles are much taller and handsomer and speak better than Paul. But Paul tells them in Second Corinthians, I think it's chapter ten. You are judging us by outward standards. By human standards. Or else you would see that my heart is given to you as a father and as an apostle. But you see, just like the Corinthians, they like to look at things outwardly. We define, oh, I'm a fine Christian, you know 
我是一个很好的基督徒，为什么呢？I wear a tie on Sunday。因为我主日都穿，都都是给要打领带。I I live a clean life。我过的一个清洁的生活。I do follow certain rituals。那我有遵守一些的这个一些的规则。I wear certain clothes。我穿一些的衣服。I do a lot of external things。我做一些外在的东西。But all of these。can be outward flesh. How, do you know what gives us the picture of the flesh in the Old Testament? You know what it is? Idols. We take outward idols and think we're good Christians because we have many idols. You see, it's easy to look at ourselves and judge one another based on outer things. The great, the great value of the prophecies in the book of Hebrews is that the Lord is telling the Jewish Christians to forsake their outward temples, sacrifices, and priesthoods and hold only to Jesus Christ as everything you need for full salvation. No doubt the Jewish Christians are very good Christians. When they started having trouble, getting persecuted, they began to say, Maybe we should go to Jerusalem and offer a lamb for the Passover. Maybe we need to go back to the priesthood. Christians love outer things. And if you know Christians who have beads that they pray with, you know rosary? You pray or the you know the Catholics have a looks like a necklace, but it's it's beads. Each bead is a prayer to Mary. So the other day I got into a Viga, you know what that is? The taxi, you know, got into a car. To go across Manhattan. This guy had his mirror, on his mirror is a rosary dangling. So I know, oh, he's a very religious man. This is the first tendency of the flesh. To not look at the spiritual reality. But to look at the outward reality. The second tendency of the flesh is to complicate. Paul says our life with the Lord should be a simple devotion to Christ. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Life is so simple. 
love Jesus. Then God gives us a problem. He blesses us. He gives us many things. And next thing you know, we start to hold on to the things. And the more things we have, the more complicated our life becomes. Now he's given us many blessings. But not for us to hold on to like this. Jesus says, I want you to go somewhere. I want you to move to Chicago. You say, I can't go. I have a house. I have too many televisions. How can I move all that stuff? I have too much stuff. Oh, our life becomes so complicated. Jesus says, Aha! This is the thorns that choke out the Christian. Started out so simple. Now very, very complicated. It's because you have too much stuff. Right? Many people didn't have time to read the Bible this morning before you came to the meeting because you had too much stuff. And I don't call children stuff. I know you have to clothe the children and get them ready. There's not stuff. That's your blessing, even though you don't always believe it. But the flesh likes to accumulate things. Why? Why? If I have a lot of things, it means Jesus loves me. Did Jesus bless you because you're so good? He blessed you because he loves you. He's given you grace and mercy and blessing. Don't think because you're blessed that you're good. Hold on This is proof that I'm good. All this stuff. Alright. A third thing that the flesh likes to do is substitute knowledge for experience. Now we all grew up eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We love knowledge. And many times as Christians we gain knowledge. But the Lord gives us knowledge. But like he said to his disciples, Now happy are you if you hear these things, but blessed are you if you do them. Many times our mind likes to learn more and more and more knowledge, but we're not doing, doing, doing. Knowledge without obedience makes us carnal Christians. The Corinthians had a lot of knowledge. But they weren't walking by way of the cross. 
This is our tendency. Now many movements were started by God. And he gave them revelation. And they walked in that revelation. But then they got more and more concentrated on knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. And they stopped walking in reality. And what happens to a group? Let's say, what happens to us if we gain a lot, a lot of knowledge, but we don't walk in it? What eventually happens? We divide over knowledge. Because they believe this, we believe that, gotta go. Instead of walking together in the unity of the Spirit. Now I have knowledge. I go to the real church. Now the the flesh doesn't like the cross. The cross is always working on our flesh. But some Christians don't even know the work of the cross. And their lives are hindered by the flesh. Now you all know some people. At one time they were very zealous. They served the Lord with all their heart. And where are they now? Their hearts grew cold. Now they live for themselves. Many brothers who've been called to serve God, but they forsook their calling to make more money. That's living for yourself and not for the Lord. If you forsake the cross, then your life will be dominated by the flesh. Now you see, as we look at the seven churches, sometimes we see the enemy, the devil, attack them directly. So that's the second church we looked at, the church of Smyrna. The Lord said, fear not. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, and some of you will die. Now the devil attacks our bodies. I'm going to persecute you and kill you. And we know there's many Christians even today. Satan tells them, I'm going to kill you. But what's the overcoming 
Satan isn't trying to kill your body. Satan because he knows your body, your body is nothing. How do we overcome? They love not their life even unto death. And Smyrna, brothers and sisters, had to realize that their soul was before God and would not be killed. Then they can overcome when they're facing the persecution. And we remember the third church we looked at. Now, this is the church of Pergamum. And the enemy attacked them with false doctrine. Their knowledge. The, people, the saints of Pergamus made a mistake. Not all of them. Many of them hold fast to Jesus as the head. But this same term, hold fast, some of the saints in Pergamos hold fast to a teaching of the Nicolaitans. Some of them took the hands of Jesus and hold fast to the teachings of Balaam. And this allowed false teaching to come into the midst. So when the Lord looks at their heart, He says, your heart isn't right. Where is your heart like this? You know the word of God. Why have you gone astray? Here's the problem. We can be very, very smart. We can know the Bible very, very well. But unless we hold fast to the testimony of Jesus, we can even be led astray by the word of God. And, you know, all heresies come from the Word of God. But it's the Word of God. But where's the testimony of Jesus? What does the testimony of Jesus do? It shines the light of Jesus on the Word of God. God wants us to know His precious Word. But if we don't know his word under the revelation of our Lord Jesus, we can go into heresy. Now, the church in Pergamum, in history, was that period of time in the church when there were many, many heresies that arose, false teachings. This is very humbling. Many people here are very smart. Some of you have degrees from university. Intelligence, except it is held by the word of the cross, can lead us astray. Actually, while I was in seminary, training for the Baptist ministry, I had a few professors who were heretics. 
I had one professor. Now, that he didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead in three days. But now, if you try to argue with him, he's much smarter than me. He has more answers than I have questions. He argues with me in, uh, in Greek. Oh, very, very smart. But that doesn't mean you're right. Most heresies come from very, very smart people. But the word of the cross will keep you in reality. So that Jesus says, now you overcome. Don't you hold on to any teaching. You hold on to Jesus. Well, we know that story. Then last time, we looked at the church in Thyatira. Now with the churches of Thyatira, Sardis, uh, uh, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Now, the church in Thyatira developed in the history when the Catholic Church became this. Uh, uh, Roman Catholic Church with a Pope. Now when we look at the Church of Thyatira, therefore, we can understand today's problem of the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox. Now, how can we simply put the problem? Now, listen to what Jesus says in chapter 2, verse 19. I know your deeds, your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Now, when you look at the Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church, you see many good things. They have many hospitals. They have many orphanages. They have many schools. There are many charities that give to the poor. They have people who are full-time priests and servants of their God. And they do many deeds. And many people look at such a church. They see the Pope Francis. Or they see in New York Cardinal Dolan. They say, oh, these are wonderful people. But Jesus looks at them with eyes of fire. 
Chapter 2, Jesus looks at Thyatira with eyes of fire that look down deep. A church that has been spiritually defiled in, in inside. He says, You have replaced me with a woman named Jezebel. Now you know there's many uh, Catholic churches all around the world. Some emphasize the worship of Mary different amounts. But many of them have taken Jesus off the throne. And Mary is the central figure of the church. And, and you see, it defiles the very heart of the church. The outward may look good. It's a deep problem. And as I've said before, some of you, if you visit the Vatican, you go into St. Peter's Church. If you are spiritually sensitive, I am not so spiritually sensitive. But I went in with brothers and sisters one time. And there were some brothers and sisters who immediately ran out. They could sense the demonic darkness in the center, in the depth of that cathedral. They buried all the bones of the former popes there under the uh, under the where you're walking. Now, we have, we have some brothers and sisters here who come from Brazil. Brazil was a Catholic country. And they can tell you that in the depths of the Catholicism there, they have witchcraft. They have changed uh, a, a witch for Mary and made her the center of the worship. They have the African witchcraft, you know, like voodoo, but this is Mokumba. And the church has taken it in, and it's all part of their thing. But Jesus calls it the deep things of Satan. Now, what, what would you do if you were in a church and Jesus says, you have some there who hold a teaching called the deep things of Satan. What kind of a church is that? Something's wrong there. Something must be repented. Jesus says, I gave your servants time to repent, but they don't want to. They hold on to Mary. They worship the various uh, saints. All kinds of darkness there. 
the doctrines of demons. Here's what the Lord says. Even to the Catholics. I I search all the church I want all the churches to know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. It makes no difference how good a church looks on the outside, how big a building, how much stained glass windows. I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. I am the Lord with eyes of fire. And so we learn this lesson. It's a problem for us, isn't it? Maybe you have many Catholic friends. And on the surface, they go to church. I'm glad they go to church. But there's something down in the heart that's defiled. Well, now, I, I, you know, I don't talk against things. I'm just trying to tell the truth as the Word of God does. Because there are some in the Catholic Church, and Jesus says, they will overcome. They have to overcome. I spoke too much on these other things. Today is the Church of Sardis. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. The angel of the Church of Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Now Jesus always comes and reveals himself in a certain way to each church. He says, I am the seven spirits of God. What does that mean? I am the one who pours out the spirit in full measure. Seven spirits of God. I am the one who holds the seven stars in my hand. And the stars represent those who speak the spiritual message of God among in the church. And the church of Sardis represents the church that came about during the Reformation. We all know if you've read Martin Luther or John Calvin's story or even Jan Hus. The Thyatira church was full of darkness. But God poured out his spirit. And people saw what the word of God was saying. 
the great result of the Reformation. Many religious people got saved. Because in the Reformation, the gospel of grace and salvation was preached. God took the stars, the messengers, and raised up great men of God, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, all these men. And he empowered them by the Spirit with the word of the gospel. And the church was revived. The people got saved. This is tremendous. Just take Martin Luther. One day he's reading the Bible. And he saw, by grace you are saved through faith. Where's, where's that in the Bible? Ephesians 2, verse 8. By grace you've been saved through faith. And he says, by grace? By faith? You mean I don't have to uh, uh, do any works to be saved? Jesus paid it all? You mean I don't get saved by keeping the sacraments? He said, I'm saved. And he began to preach it. And so they made a, 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 Martin Luther made a symbol of his uh, ministry. It says three things, you know This is uh, uh, the symbol of the Reformation. It says in Latin. Sola fide. Sola fide. By faith alone. Sola gratia. Sola gratia. By grace alone. Sola scriptura. Sola scriptura. By the Bible alone. This is our truth. No more tradition from the church. What the Bible says. We're saved by faith. And Martin Luther opened up that Catholic Church and thousands and thousands of saints in Germany, in Norway, in Sweden, in Finland, in Denmark got saved by the gospel of grace. All these people said, oh, when I die, I'm going to go to purgatory. Luther said, no purgatory. You're going to heaven. Ah, the Germans were so happy. You know, I'm German. I'm a happy German. <laughs> I know I'm saved by grace through faith, through the Bible alone. What a reformation. What a man of God. Calvin came along and his other reformers came along. The Holy Spirit poured out. They saw salvation's light. So where Calvin and everything, Switzerland got saved, France got saved, Belgium got saved. It was wonderful. That's a fit on the chimney.
But now Jesus is speaking to this church of Sardis. With the seven spirits and the seven stars in his hand. And you notice two things. He doesn't say anybody's fighting against you. Now you know many churches the devil's attacking things like this. But the second thing you notice he makes no commendation. And why? Because the gospel of salvation was preached. And it's true they were saved. But the full counsel of God was not preached. Paul says, I have taught you the full counsel of God. It's not just the gospel of salvation. Luther was so strong on the gospel of salvation. And Luther was a very stubborn guy. Like all Germans. But he had to be. He was fighting against the Pope. He was fighting against the, the Caesar of the Holy Roman Empire. Very strong on the gospel. But his eyes never understood sanctification. Even today, I have some Lutheran friends. Holiness, they don't know. You know, Luther used to go preach his gospel. Then he'd eat a lunch with his friends. Many times he got drunk. Too much beer. is another German problem. But he had never seen holiness. And, 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 so, and so in this Reformation period, the different churches held a different doctrine. Now the Anabaptists, they preached holiness. Anabaptists，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they，they
And the Lutherans were much more living than the Catholic Church. Jesus looks and says, You have a history, a reputation of being alive, but now you're dead. He says, wake up and strengthen those things which are about to die. I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Now, what is the problem here? The problem is that they had the word of God, a word of salvation. But they needed something more. And what was that? Let's look at just three things quickly. I'm sorry, I've taken a little more time. First of all, regarding the Word of God. I already said, they had the Word of Salvation, but they didn't have the whole counsel of God. But there were two things that prevented them from from staying alive and getting ready. Two things that were making them spiritually weak. Here's the two things. They still, along with their gospel, held on to to traditions and doctrines of the church. Catholic doctrine. Doctrines of man, not of God. They still baptize infants. They still believe in miracle when they have have the Lord's table. So only the priests could do the whole the Lord's table. These are traditions. They come from the world. They follow worldly organization. And so they did all these kinds of things, but at the, but the body of Christ could not develop. The people would confess their saved, but they lacked assurance of their salvation. How many of you have been to a Catholic church for service? How many of you have been to a Lutheran church? How many of you have been to a Lutheran and a Catholic? Only a couple of people. You know, if you go to a Lutheran church and a Catholic church, actually their service is much the same. So Luther, the people got saved, but they were still following the non-biblical doctrines. And the second the second thing was this. You see the shape of the church is important. New wine from the Holy Spirit can only be poured into new wine skin. But they were trying to pour new life into old wine skin. They still used the worldly methods of organization 
and man's methods of doing things. They took over the old Catholic buildings and now they were Lutheran buildings.那他们就是现在就是取代了这些天主教的这些教堂，现在就成为路德会的教堂。And most of the Lutherans and most Reformed, the state or the country, uh, uh, owned the churches.那大部分的这些地方都是这个国家或者什么都是拥有这些路德会的这些教堂。You know, Lutheran church. Uh, everybody in Germany belongs to the Lutheran Church. It's the state church. Everybody in England belongs to the Anglican Church. It's the church. The state pays for the preachers. They tell them where to go, what to preach. That's the ways of the world. Now Luther was protected by princes in Germany when he first began to preach. But eventually, the state took over the church. This is like an old wine skin. Uh, a couple examples, and I'll, I'll have to put here. We're studying in Manhattan right now, the Old Testament. Now in the book of Numbers you see something. God's testimony tabernacle is in the wilderness. And God wants to move this into the promised land. But he just doesn't blow a whistle and he says, okay, let's go, everybody go. There's rules to move the testimony. It has to be a way, God's way. When the cloud lifts, that's when you go. And you follow the cloud. Where it goes down, you stay. Now, here's the tabernacle. But we have to have priests surrounding the tabernacle. Ministering, worshiping the tabernacle. And then you have to have all twelve tribes, and they have to be in their right spot around the tabernacle. So when they move through the wilderness, tabernacle is in the middle. Jesus is in the center. And everybody is in order. So this is how God moves his testimony. In the church today, in the Sardis church today, well, people preach the gospel, some preach holiness, all these kinds of things, but they think you can put the church into any wineskin, makes no difference. But what you discover is, the Sardis church backslides, Gets revived, backslides, gets revived, backslides, but can't move forward. Luther wrote a famous book about the Catholic Church. The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. But the Church of Sardis, the dominational churches of today, are also in Babylonian captivity. Their methods, 
Their wine skin is old. It's part of our tradition, our flesh, our background. And so is the result. He says, many of you are wearing robes, but they're spotted by the flesh. How can you serve God with robes spotted with the flesh? How your robes are white. You're living holy life. You're overcoming. And you will walk with me in white robes. This is his promise to those who overcome. So the denominational churches today, now they're all very different. But most of them, the cross is not working in their life. And also, if a Christian in most churches, and forgive me, but I say this because I was a Baptist for years. If you want to grow as a Christian, the church is so worldly that you have to overcome almost by yourself. That's never been God's way for the church. We're supposed to be gathered with those who love the Lord. We're supposed to encourage one another daily. We're supposed to pray for one another when we fall away with sin. The church is meant to be in a new wineskin. So that the Holy Spirit can do something and change and, and revive and recover the church. Well, much more to say. Run out of time. But next time we see Philadelphia, and they learn how to be recovered by the Lord. All the seven churches, Philadelphia was the most commended by our Lord. May the Lord teach us how to walk in the way of Philadelphia. I'll just lead in a prayer and then we can go. Jesus, we thank you that you love us so. You come with eyes of fire and look into our hearts. You're not so impressed with outward things. But you're looking at what's inside. Lord, would you come and look at us? Would you observe the inside? What is our heart? Do we love you with all of our hearts? And Lord, would you expose things that are of the world that are in the church? Things that are of the flesh that are in the church? We know that you have come to save us and to wash us and to sanctify us. To prepare us as your bride. Teach us to consider these things. As difficult as these things are, we want to walk in the way of the cross and learn how to be a bride prepared. So we pray that you would lead us in Jesus' precious name.
是吧？求你带领我们，祷告奉主耶稣的名。Amen.